0: Hello friends, welcome to Musa Hamas Podcast, I'm your host, Damian Damien. Alright buddies, on this week's episode we bring you a very special guest. Of course we bring you Mr. Jimmy Stat, of the Polar Bear Club. Now Jimmy, I was very fortunate to meet uh, in the green room downstairs at the Fillmore Auditorium in beautiful Denver, Colorado. Uh, they were opening up for the Bronx and Bad Religion. Um damn fantastic show I'd never seen Polar Bear Uh, I'd never seen Polar Bear Club before and I was very very excited to see them and they met my expectations exceedingly and then um, got to hang out with them downstairs and then one of the guys in the band gave me this backstage pass to go watch Bad Religion I've seen Bad Religion like fucking 20 times already this tour You go watch them tonight. I got to go watch Bad Religion from side stage, and believe me, I kind of was shaking. I had the shakes. I was so excited. Um, I didn't get to meet any of the guys, but still, like, watching them from 10 feet away. Uh, The sound, of course, isn't as good, but still, what a fantastic experience. Uh, I got to hang out and got to see a whole lot of people. Um, Again, Jimmy, Jimmy's just one of those dudes that is very engaging, very encouraging, and very wonderful to talk to. Um, I mean, I could throw out so many more adjectives but you guys are going to listen to the podcast today anyway uh it's a little alongside it's a little over an hour long uh the shocker is is me and jimmy actually had talked for about two hours uh we had talked about for about 30 to 45 minutes before i even hit the record button and we talked a lot about podcasts we talked a lot about touring we talked a lot about books uh and that's before i even hit the record button um and then he's just one of those guys, like we probably could have gone on with this episode for another hour. He's just very calm, cool, smart, and engaging, and just a wonderful person to be around and just to feel that intelligence and that energy that he he brings forth uh no wonder he's a st- a front man and uh man i i can't even put in the words how wonderful experience it was uh this is one of my favorite interviews i've ever done and of course it's all because of him i'm i'm just the smuck with the tape recorder asking questions he's the guy that's that's putting forth all the love and charm so uh we're going to go ahead and get pretty straight into this Episode. Uh, I would like to mention our sponsor. Once again, we welcome back Denver Comic Con. It's going to be May 31st through June 2nd at the Colorado Convention Center. Very fortunate to have these wonderful, wonderful people at the Denver Comic Con sponsoring this podcast. Uh, here's just a quick rundown of uh, guests that you may or may not be aware of. Stan the Manly. He's the co-creator of Spider-Man, the X-Men, Incredible Hulk, Fantastic Four. Um, and just wonderful character in his own right We've got George Takai from the original Star Trek series And the original Motion Pictures He's also internet famous for his wonderful Facebook blog And gay rights activists uh, we got James Collis I think I'm saying all right, James Collis. He was He's uh, starred as Gaius Baltar on the uh, Battlestar Galactica remake We've got Peter Mayhew, a.k.a. Chewbacca We've got another Star Trek alumni, Mr. Will Wheaton. He played Wesley Crusher on The Next Generation. He also starred in one of my all-time favorite films, all-time top three favorite films, Stand By Me. Not only that, we got voice actor Phil Lamar. We've got the creators of Ben 10 in their Man of Action studios. We've got, uh, let's see, uh, let's scroll up here a little bit. Mike Mike Barron, he co-created a comic book called The Badger back in the... uh, late 80s early 90s I was a fan of we got Matt Wagner he was the creator of Grindel and a, a lesser known title but even more important mage starring Kevin Matchstick as the reincarnation of King Arthur and Gil Gamish and I've actually got a Kevin Matchstick tattoo on my arm I'm pretty stoked about that Joe Kelly he's a wonderful uh, writer of Superman amongst other things and I mean the list goes on and on and on and on please visit DenverComicCon.com. check it out Thanks to those guests for sponsoring us. Again, that is May 31st through June 2nd at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Let's go ahead and get into this episode, guys. We've got the Polar Bear Club right here. Uh, This is a track off their newest album, uh, the 2011 album Clash Battle Guilt Pride. Hopefully, we'll get something uh, new soon. But the song is Screams and Caves. They just put out a killer video about, I don't know, about a year ago. Uh, It's a fantastic video, fantastic band, fantastic dude. Jimmy, thank you so much. Scotty Bell, thanks for setting this up. Uh, Let's go ahead and listen to Screams and Caves, and we'll get into that interview. All right, buddies, let's take off.
1: Fighting with the bottle, drinking me Sunrise On red eyes I'll take my one-man army to the States For this way Just listen to that!
0: Oh, flight and crash. And
2: a lot of stories about him, like losing his voice every five minutes, having to leave the studio because his voice was so shit. And then you get to the new Hot Water record, and he shreds it. Like, ha- what happened to him? He turned into ten years
0: of playing acoustic shows. Yeah, but
2: But he. Uh, yeah, maybe. He turned into like this this person who ended up a singer who maybe was like. No one else wanted to be the singer, so I'll do it. Yeah. No idea what he was doing. Had some heart, though. And now he's a fucking singer, man. Like, he dude. is so yeah. good. His voice is insane.
0: I'll have arguments with people that it's like, no, the Chris Woolard's better. No, Chuck's better. And I'm like, I'm a Chuck dude. Like... But I also have friends that will argue with me that everything before the epitaph years yeah. is the best shit they've ever done everything sucks I mean it's all it's relative great shit but it's more yeah. time and
2: place yeah. whereas the later stuff is like is forever
0: right it, it, and the same idea is like um, you are what 28 you said yeah well see when I the suicide machines pops into my head because growing up fit, being 15, 16 we'd always argue which suicide machines was better their see, first one. battle hymns guy and I'm a battle hymn because I got it first. Yeah, me too. And then got the other one and was on because like, the Brr.
2: first one is a is more time in place. Yeah, and and it's a great record, but there's something about battle hymns that is just like it's
0: raw. It's full of that timeless. energy. And I it,
2: forever wanted to cover DDT and say PBC in it. See, <laughs> that, that's, that's it's such a horrible joke that no one would get.
0: And see, like I don't even know what song that is because I that was at a time period. It's like you have that disc man in your car, yeah. and you're just like. DDT is the track
2: number 6. Track number 6. DDT's like track 10, I think. And it's like the pesticide song. Okay It has like this weird breakdown and it's like the chorus is like something 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 DDT. break free something something I can't even remember the words. And then it has this weird like hardcore breakdown in the middle like It's a great song and a great record, yeah. Cool I love that record song
0: I do, too. But that's always the one that pops into my head where people are so divided.
2: Very true, yeah. Um,
0: between those – well, and, and, I mean, half these kids here tonight probably don't even know what suicide machines are, yeah. which is pretty sad.
2: It's, so. it's very strange, like, outlasting something, you know. Mm-hmm. Or just, like, living to – because I feel yeah. like the age we're at, we're kind of new old guys yeah. in a way, you know.
0: Well, my buddy went, why are these guys opening? guys have been around for five years yeah I'm like, well but they're still in the grand scheme of things like um my buddy chris who's the uh gm of the black sheep he was like they're not a Fillmore band it's gonna be weird to see them in there and no offense it kind of was yeah i mean but it's whatever yeah it is you
2: know but uh anyway um yeah it is That was weird. a very German compliment by the way Are you familiar what? with the German compliment? No The German compliment is a uh, If you ask any person in a band who's toured Europe They'll know exactly what you're talking about Germans have this way of complimenting you Like backwardsly Nice. Yeah, of yeah. being like coming up to you Seeking you out Like the second you walk off stage Coming up to you and being like Oh put up your club It's my favorite band The The songs you picked tonight were shit though The last time you played here so much better uh, your song selection was such shit, and and you you did not play them as Bet. well as last time. But thank you so much for coming. We love you so much. Well,
0: I in like I've got the microphone on now and I'm recording, so now I'm automatically in my fucking podcaster voice. But I'm just, <laughs> but, but let let me try to be like um, no, it, it's you guys are like a I don't want st- to the same thing. I don't want to see Bad Religion in this room. I want to see him on a small stage. Right. And you guys, I want to see and experience it, like, right down there.
2: Well, we have, a, we have a role on this tour, and it's not to be the best band of the night. Right. You know what I mean? Our role on this tour is to be sounds before the headlining band. Because yeah. they can't just come out and play. I mean, Bruce, only Bruce Springsteen can do that. You know, like, <laughs> he, he doesn't have openers because he's Bruce Springsteen. But, like, you know. There needs to be a some sort of sound like some sort of warm up act, you know yeah. that's the role, and so dude, we have we're so used to it though, like I mean I this was almost a good night, really, in a way, I mean, there was some warmth from the crowd, I mean a lot of times it's like it's really hard to gauge your set at a one of three yeah, right, because people are not warm, they're not like used to sounds yet. You're the first thing they're hearing. They don't know who your band is. And you could think you're having the worst set of your life just based on their faces and based on the, the vibe right. in the room. And then all of a sudden, you've sold the crazy amounts of merch. Like, literally, the best night of merchandise we had on this tour was our worst time playing. Hands down. Hands Here. down. It was the first night of tour. We were so sloppy. We were... Just feeling each other out, you know, like we felt like the crowd fucking hated us And we did like double what we'd have done any other (laughs) night of the tour And you you just never know It's really weird because as a band that not a lot of people know When you play to a crowd like this they, they're just kind of taking you in and they could really be into it but yeah. they're not really sure how to show it
0: oh and the kids that were really into it were my friends on the other side of the, on the stage on left hand side yeah, oh yeah, yeah I saw them yeah. and, and like I know all those kids and I'm watching them. I'm like yeah
2: that's that's sort of been that. the way of this tour you know the, the little pockets yeah and uh, well
0: like I, I had the post on Facebook because it was like 7.15 and I'm like Where are you guys? Polar Bear Club goes on at 7.30. Yeah,
2: tonight was a little earlier. Usually we're on at 8.
0: And this is, and Bad Religion is an old man's crowd too, right?
2: You know, I really thought that was going to be the case. And there there are, that contingency is definitely there. Mm -hmm. But there's also this other sect of person there that is like super young. And like kind of like a Rise Against kid. And like Rise Against obviously is like very much... I mean, say what you will about their music now, if you like it or not, they're a punk band. Right. Yeah. They're still a punk band. And they still represent those bands and like and the pinnacle punk bands, yeah. Minor Threat, Black Flag, and Bad Religion. So a kid who like maybe got into rise against the radio starts reading a little bit and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, there's this is where they started. I'm gonna start here too. And they eventually get to Bad Religion. And there's a lot of those kids here, like 15-year-olds, you know? And that's really, like, that's the beneficial opening crowd. Like, that's the crowd. Those are the kids that are going to like the first band and go check them out. The old man contingency, maybe you'll get them.
0: I'm one of those kids. I'm an old man, I guess now at 30, almost 32. But I want to be there for the opening bands. Right. But... Uh, I don't know how much battery I got. I thought this thing said it was full when I turned it on. Now oh, it's down shit. to one bar. But let's go ahead and get this. A, and, and if we need to, uh, my phone has a killer yeah. condenser oh, cool. mic. So, um, but, man, let's go ahead and, like, actually get started. I'm down. Um, I, I, I did read a, a ton of your interviews. And, like, and even just talking to you now, you're an incredibly smart Gentleman, or at least you come off that way. So so. hopefully, I have some stuff uh, worthy of that because you've done a lot of interviews, and hopefully, I I try to take the other route. So if
2: you're as down with podcasts as I am, I feel like you're good because that's (laughs) everyone I interview with, and they're always like, because I interview with some young ass kids who are like starting to get into interviewing and stuff, and that's the thing. I'll interview with anyone. I'll interview with the fucking high school paper.
0: Well, that that means a lot. Like. It's like, a, like I was telling you a minute ago, it's so hard to get through the, the brass racks of like, I've already interviewed Bad Religion before, but yeah. getting an in person interview for this, they're just like, eh, we don't know who you are, who cares? Yeah. So, but uh, let's, God, I hope this battery lasts. Um, oh, we'll, it,
2: we'll wear it down. We'll make it work. And if <laughs> not, we'll, we'll hit record on this. That's that. cool. That's cool. So,
0: um, one of the things, like, like Mark Marin, who I rip off and who you enjoy, yeah. I like talking about the roots. And what brings people up, and that really fascinates me. Yeah. Um, your mother was a piano teacher. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, and was that your earliest memories of like finding music and, and having it around? I assume what comes from your mother being a piano teacher.
2: I think so. I, I think though, my mother, my sister, and myself all have a natural musical ability. Mm-hmm. My, my father's completely the black <laughs> sheep, like no musical ability whatsoever. So I think I inherited it to an extent, but also I was just around music all the time all the time. Like I mean I would get home from school and I'd sit down in the living room and my mother would close the doors to the front room and I just would hear piano until nine o'clock at night from three to nine every day. And I wasn't necessarily listening to it. I mean to, to a, I don't even hear it anymore. I still go home and my mom still teaches the piano and I, I don't even hear it anymore. <laughs> it's just such background to me. but there has to have been something like hearing that every day mm-hmm. that sort of trained me on songs and like what makes a song and and just sounds together and harmony and melody and stuff like that. I just yeah. it's just sort of in my bones. You know?
0: It's like I, I played violin from fifth grade to twelfth grade can't play violin for shit but i understand all the musical theory behind it just from like being there the teacher i had the same teacher from fifth grade through 12th grade took pity on me he liked me Hmm. but like i can listen to songs i can predict you you just you pick it up there's an instinct right i just i can't read sheet music and i can't just i can't figure but that i'm dyslexic and Hmm. in orchestra it's very much sheet music oriented and i would play by ear and i'd play this part over there and that part so i i just i could never pick it up and sorry to talk too much about it but um so was that the first thing did you play piano growing up
2: i i can't read music right i started piano um my mother wanted me to start piano but she wanted me to take from a different teacher she was like i want you to start piano but from a teacher that's not me i think she knew if i took piano from her i would kind of not take it seriously and, and maybe get frustrated maybe hate it yeah and hate her um, I ended up hating it anyway <laughs> and I probably took about three lessons and I was like, this just isn't me and to this day I, I really I hate this about myself so much but I can't really double task well I can't left hand right hand mm-hmm. very well um, so I, what piano really did for me also was it served almost in classical music it served almost as like this rebellion point of like of this is where what I hear all day, I need the exact opposite of this right now, you know, so I, so I was just instantly geared towards aggressive music, of course started in horrible places, you know, middle school, like, you know, new metal or whatever.
0: I was there too. Yeah, you
2: know, and it just, it starts there and, and blossoms out, but I, I knew I wanted to play guitar, and um, so my parents, I was, I wanted to be a drummer. And my mother was like, we're not having drums in this house. Right. It's too fucking loud. And so they're like, what about guitar? And I was like, okay. So I went and got a guitar. And to this day, my parents will say that it is the one, the one thing they did right was, was getting... Of course, they're being cynical, but they did a lot of things right. Um, but they'll say, like, that was the one thing we look back on, getting you that guitar, because... I was a kid where they always were trying to get me into things and nothing ever stuck and I couldn't I didn't do sports I didn't do whatever I just wanted to I, I just wanted to watch movies and TV all day yeah. you know uh, and they were like we got you the guitar and you were in your fucking bedroom for we never saw you after we got you that guitar because you were in there playing that thing forever I mean we knew you loved it so much and we, we, always, we always were proud of ourselves for that parenting <laughs> ah. Hi, Hi Britt How are
0: you? <laughs> hey how did you get an all access pass and I didn't
2: Um, uh, Scotty?
0: Uh motherfucker told me he couldn't get me one I hate you Oh
2: I They might have They honestly might have run out Because Bad he, Religion He told me they ran like, out We don't have as many. They usually give us like 20 spots Today they were like And getting 10
0: Yeah he texted me and was like Hey I don't have a text But this, we have but anyway. an extra lane in it, So I but, think we're just like Scooting oh, people, that's people all good I'm, yeah. I'm just talking shit to Britt
2: so, Cause she, she walked into the interview Enter Britt
0: Yeah <laughs> And, and Britt, <laughs> we only have a limited battery space. Do you have a double A battery in there by any chance?
2: No.
0: I hate you. A so double much right A. Now. Double A. This thing takes double A. It's really nice. Interviewed kept Anyway. away. I bet
2: if you asked Scotty, you could find you one. But could. whatever you want, if they you God want to run. have them at this venue.
0: But I mean, like, we might have enough time on yeah. here. So anyway, so. God damn it! You fucking threw everything. We're talking, off, about Britt. We're talking about guitar. Talking know. about guitar. And piano. Okay, so. You're the singer of the band, but you don't yeah. play guitar.
2: But I write a lot of music. Right. Yeah. When did
0: you start writing? Start playing guitar? When did you start writing, just period? Uh, the
2: second I picked up that guitar.
0: Well, what about, because you write the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Did you write anything before you picked up the guitar? Did you write yeah. sto- short stories in school and yep. whatnot? What did I you wrote
2: short stories, and I remember very distinctly writing a short story about my grandfather's death when I was... Uh, when I was 11 or 10
0: and when did you get the guitar
2: when I was 12 and so I remember I wrote a short story just for myself it wasn't in class I just wrote it and I put it under my bed (laughs) and I remember my mom found it and she was like "It scared it scared her (laughs) because I was 10 and it was like it was right I was writing about death and uh and she was, and, and, I, and that started me in therapy at 10. Because <laughs> my mom found that, and she was like, you're going to counseling. And I was like, I don't need to go to counseling. I was, I was always kind of with it, you know, in a yeah. way. At least my memory says that. But I was always like, I don't need to go to counseling. I just wrote this because I, I like to write and whatever. And she kind of, as mothers do, like, was like, no, you're going to see a therapist. And Hi.
0: Oh, it's, so it's okay. No, it's all good.
2: Um, that was a bass player? Yeah, that's Tyler. but yeah, so I start I've, I always was geared that way of writing and, and I started writing music the, the, the second I got the mm. guitar and I remember I had a friend Gina uh, when I was in sixth grade, and I remember just calling her and being like, "Listen to this, and I put the phone up to the amp and just played her this horrible <laughs> you know thing and I was always always writing riffs and then I started figuring out like putting songs together because I I, didn't, I don't know how to read music when I was learning to play guitar my dad just he was friends with these people who owned a natural food store and he was like I know this guy Chris who works at the natural food store he'll teach you guitar for like 10 bucks a lesson We're like cool so I would just go to his house and I would bring him a song I wanted to learn and he would teach me the song so I remember I would I, the first song I brought him was like a Rage Against the Machine song and then I brought a Pennywise song, a Pantera song, a fucking Goldfinger song, and so he just taught me the songs, and I and that's how I learned like what a song feels like in your right. hands, you know. Um, I'm so thankful for that to this day that I didn't try to learn like theory and. Um, but- and how to read music, and, and scales. Well, I mean,
0: just just hearing it all in the background, you learn the theory anyway. It just comes. In a way. It, like, it, if you're receptive, and you seem like a receptive general, gentleman, <laughs> yeah. it seems yeah. like it, it's going to come through you anyway. And it's,
2: that's just sort of in my bones. I would like, like, the intellectual side of me is like, oh, now I'm an adult. It would be cool to learn that stuff. But when I was doing the grassroots figuring it out, I'm very thankful that it started with the songs. Nice. Because i was learning like primus songs on the guitar <laughs> from that to like a goldfinger song
0: what goldfinger song
2: uh, pictures the really? last song on the self-title that i nice. remember
0: Gold, goldfinger was like i had the flu i was up all night i was home from school and up all night and i remember watching the de- the debut of here in your bedroom on 120 minutes yeah and I was just like, "What is this?" And that—that's what I attribute as not Green Day, but uh, Goldfinger as my. I, I love that record. Yeah,
2: and I picked pictures because it had like the the, the like jokey like mosh part at the end, and I was like, yeah, "That's so heavy and cool. <laughs> how do I do that?"
0: Um. So your sis, your older sister, how old is your sister? My sister. How older? How much older?
2: She's three years older than me, so, so that would make her now thirty. Nice.
0: So it was her friends that got you into the the music you're into today. What what were those first records?
2: Well, I I was like, I was just such a tag-along kid, you know. I didn't have a lot of friends my own age. And even to to this day, I have a lot of older friends. And so she was friends with, like, a lot of skateboarding guys, you know. And so I'd always, like, tag along and be like, teach me how to skateboard. And I was never going to skateboard. I mean, I was (laughs) so bad at it. But the bands they got me into was like very early Blink One Eighty Two when that was sort of happening, uh, you know, Minor Threat and um, Pennywise, and then like it started branching out to like Deftones and stuff like that. Um, just aggressive, fast, like skate punk and 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 punk rock. Nice. That's where that started. Um, but but it was it was in me still. It was like it, there was something in me that that sent me there um and it's weird like i can't explain what that is but like no, not I mean, everyone has that i was there too like, you know it, was,
0: it just grabs you some people
2: hear aggressive music and it really like turns them off
0: for for me i was already listening to the corn and i love deftones deftones was the first concert i ever went to and still
2: to this day are, are great they
0: yeah they haven't let me down yet with the yeah. album they let me down whenever i didn't know what, they went above my head and i've come back to it but yeah. um but no, like, uh, I loved all that shit, White Zombie and all that. And then I found, yeah. like, the happy pop punk, and I'm like, oh, wow. I don't hate the world as much anymore. That's yeah. what happened to me.
2: That's the same thing. I pretty much started in, like, new metal, and then ended up at, like, Op Ivy and Pennywise, and, yeah. and then, like, got in Descendants l- later. Yeah, same um, but yeah, it was like, because the new, new metal music. It was now called New Middle. Then it was just like... Then they almost called it Hardcore. It was called Hardcore, you know? at
0: least in Louisiana, where I grew up. Yeah. It was...
2: Look, at this hardcore? I mean,
0: like, fucking Corn. their first major tour, was with Sick of It All. Yeah. Yeah, which is... Anyway. I remember
2: Deftones back in the day. It was like Snapcase and Quicksand, Yeah, Deftones. And
0: then all these bands were on the warp Tour way yeah. back in 99, which yeah. people forget. They're like...
2: Warped is not punk rock
0: anymore. And I'm like, it
2: never was. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of is like the same exact thing. Yeah. But I, I liked that music because at face value, it was like, it was almost like candy. You know, it was like, it was just all fucking over the top and tough all the time. Yeah. But then when I found about, out about Pennywise and Operation Ivy, I started to learn about, like... That X factor, that like energy to a band—no Huh, no pun intended. Right. Uh, but that like that aura that a band could have, an essence to a band, that sort of like thing you can't explain—the X factor, their 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 point of view, their their persona. That's what taught me about that, and then from there, just I was just into all sorts of music, you know, yeah. just whatever had a voice, whatever had a had a, a refined point of view. I was like, yes, I, I like that, I like that, I like that.
0: I, I did the opposite. I went, this isn't punk rock, I can't listen to this anymore.
2: Well, I, I had Sell my time records, of that, you know. Yeah, we, I, was, I think
0: everybody does. Yeah. Um, so let, let, let's move ahead a little bit. You went to college for acting. When did you get into the acting? When did that start?
2: That started in high school because uh, when, I was in, when I was in middle school, I tried to do sports because everyone in <laughs> my neighborhood did sports. Yeah. I came from a really big lacrosse neighborhood. And so I I started out wrestling. And then I stopped wrestling and I played lacrosse for a little bit. And then I always, like, I always was kind of funny when I was a kid. I mean, of course not really funny, but right. I always tried to make... I was a ham, yeah. completely. Um, I always, that's how I found my way into social circles. Because I was kind of like... This weird, awkward kind of fat kid who, like...
0: I find it hard to believe you were a fat kid.
2: I I weighed more in eighth grade than I do now. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And so I always, like, had to learn something else besides being attractive to get people to like me. And that was being funny, you know. Or what I thought was funny. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so that just sort of, like, turned into acting. I, I remember I fell in with these kids at my high school who were, like, very much theater kids but more like theater punk kids and we were in this like comedy improv troupe that was like we would do shows at the high school and like sell out these shows yeah. to everyone this to jocks to punk kids to band people to the teachers we would sell out these shows and that is what started like performance I was like oh cool nice. I, can, I can siphon this ham thing into something constructive and and uh and cool and so from there I just was like because I was also in bands too at the same time so when I had to I had to go to college you know I was like yeah. I, I, I got and so it was like I could either go like something band wise like sound recording or something like that or I could do acting and, and I just I was never very like technical so I was like I can't do that so I'll, I'll do acting you know nice and I, so, I, I really did fall in love with it I mean I kind of joke around that the only thing that led me this way was that I just like band people more than theater people. (laughs) In a way, you know, like, I was very much a kind of an outsider in my program, in my degree, because I was a a very realistic, naturalistic theater lover. Eugene O'Neill, Arthur Miller, um, just modern drama, realistic drama. And my program was very much... An extension of musical obsessed kind of high school theater people, and so by the end of that, I just was—I had the opportunity to go be in Polar Record full time, and I was like, "I, I got to do that," you know. Like that's those are my
0: people. You graduated, right? I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're still paying it off. Oh, yeah. oh, my <laughs> forever, God, yeah. forever in a day. I will um, be
2: for a while. Yeah. Uh,
0: not, not that it. I glanced the book in your backpack, and it looked like a Monty Python
2: book. Was it? No, it was Thomas Pynchon's uh, *Inherent Vice*. Oh, just the cover of it Inherent had that kind of Monty <laughs> Python
0: s cover. So yeah, I was like, wait a minute, what is yeah. that? You just mentioned Monty Python, so
2: no, it's Tom. It's I only got into that book because I heard Paul Thomas Anderson was adapting it for his next movie. Oh, nice! And it sounded cool, so I was like, oh, yeah. I'll check that out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so what? What attracts you to What attracts you to inhabiting? A role of a character or being somebody else other than yourself.
2: Well, I mean, it's when it started, it was just attention. I yeah. mean, when it started out, it was just literally attention. Um,
0: What's your birthday, by the way?
2: February 11. Oh,
0: you're uh, Aquarius, Aquarius. Yeah. I'm Leo. I oh, love yeah. attention. So. Yeah, it's weird. It's just one of those things. It just happens. I don't it's, know about Aquarius, but
2: it's undeniable. I mean. Yeah.
0: All my Aquarius girlfriends, I date a lot of them. Yeah. They're all attention seekers, too.
2: There's a lot of February birthdays, man. I can figure it out. I have three friends who have the same birthday as me. Wow. Weird. Which is weird, I feel like. Yeah, a little bit. And then two other friends who are like days before. Yeah. Um, but, but so. It started yeah. with attention, basically. It was like I was always like a funny guy in my group of friends, you know, whatever. But it's. That, that only lasts so long. And if that's the only reason you like it, you eventually get weeded out of it, you know. And then it just sort of became this love of of, of stories and literature, mm-hmm. and um, and also that emotional exercise of feelings I don't get to express but have. I'm a very polite uh, people person, but I get angry a lot but I just don't have the socialization or something to express it constructively. I just bottle it up. Just bottle it up. But acting was like, oh my God, if you ever saw me acting in like a fucking Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross type scene, you wouldn't even recognize me, man. Because I leaned into that shit because I was like, fuck, I get to yell at this person. I get to ream this person out. I get to like wring their neck and it's okay. Fuck yes. Yeah. You know, um,
0: it's funny because like, I was going to get to that down here in a minute but yeah. I'm going to go ahead and mention it now. The, the songs you guys play and the way you perform them feels like, and I've, I've told Tom May of this, of the Menzigers when I talked to him, it's kind of like just this kind of bottled up, up controlled aggression being yeah. slowly released. Only for him I, I described it as Bruce Banner moments before he turns into the Hulk. And <laughs> he went, wow, that's Tom. cool. Yeah, And then he just went, I don't remember what he said, um, but anyway. But I yeah, mean, like- it
2: so much is. I mean, that, that I became really obsessed with that idea of persona. That that mm-hmm. I mean, it's like just Shakespeare's just wrought with this, you know, the idea of the masks, you know, and how all these masks that you wear. Because when you're sort of growing up, you're like, I don't, don't want to be a, I don't want to be like a different person. I want to be a real person. And then I started to realize, like, no, like. You can be the, these different personas, and they're still a part of who you, the real person, mm-hmm. is. You know, and so I mean, for example, like the way I was talking to the crowd tonight is not the way I'm talking to you right now, right. but that's still me. That's still a part of who I am. I just don't get to be that that much. So it's almost like when we're when I'm performing in the band, it's like I find such great comfort in in being on stage, just because. I really embrace that that expression that like I get to, my emotions I get to stretch out emotionally. And that's something that I don't feel like throughout the day because I feel a lot of responsibility to be a certain type of person, to act a certain way, to, to be this that the other thing, but that all just disappears when you're on stage and you literally just on instinct, like just just you really you're fucking anything if you're just in the moment and if if you feel like crying, you can cry, and if you feel like fucking like grinding your teeth at the crowd, you can grind your teeth at the crowd, you feel like smiling and opening your arms like this, you can do it it's it's so f- cliche, but it's like, it's so free yeah
0: know? I like that and that's a lot of the stuff in my notes we're going to talk about um, so does that allow you? From what you've learned as being an actor, be able to separate yourself. I mean, are you? A diff- I mean, obviously you just said it, but you know what, you just said it. But my, my next question was, <laughs> does it allow you to a different degree of separation between Jimmy and Polar Bear Club versus Jimmy at home with the missus? But, I mean, I mean you just answered down, all that, so never down. mind. <laughs> I mean,
2: most people who know me, when they come see me play their jaws drop i mean not they're not i'm not being cocky they're so impressed i mean like they they didn't think that but, i could do those things
0: well like we were t- we were talking about chad price where well, we were talking about dragging the river earlier yeah. chad price the guy from all yeah he doesn't talk he's the quietest dude in the world and we were in kansas city where he grew up and his mom just comes up to me at the merch table and was like i just still, after all these years i can't believe you that that my quiet little boy gets up there and sings all these songs. So, yeah, I I
2: get... I mean, my mother would say this and does say the (laughs) same thing because I'm very quiet in a family setting, you know, just very reserved and soft-spoken. And And then when my parents come and watch me, they they know that that, that's really me on stage. And it's emotional for them because... They like to see me in that setting. They like to see me kind of as as me, in a way. Yeah. But if you saw me at home, it's just... it's just a normal person, right. you know? Right, right, I but get that. But it's funny, because I think a lot of people I meet on tour, they watch us play, and they're kind of, like, figuring me out. You know, they're like, what, what, how how does he go from that to, like, what he is on stage? And then they find out that I went to school for acting, and mm-hmm. they're like, there it is. Okay, yeah. that's where that comes from, yeah.
0: And that, that, to me, is the most fascinating thing. That's, that's like, half of my questions here is just like, oh, man. Because I'm, I'm, I know a lot of burlesque girls, and, they, you know, the burlesque girls here in Colorado have their personal Facebook accounts, mm-hmm. and they have their uh, burlesque accounts. And I'm like, Character, how do yeah. you separate the two? Which one is the you and which one isn't? Or are they both you? Yeah. And what's going to happen one night when they both separate and fight you? But that's because <laughs> I have read too many comic books growing up. You know, it's going to happen. Though. Um, so where? So you've always you've been writing since eleven. Is that what you just said? 11-ish? In some form, yeah, in some form yeah. or another. So where inside of you do the songs come from? Do you write from your own
2: perspective, or do you write them from an outside perspective? I think. It, I mean, it's all from my perspective to an extent, mm-hmm. but. I think I I always try to have like some sort of like narrative song. It's not I don't think it's my forte as a lyricist, um, but I do love like storyteller writers like Hold Steady and the Weaker Thans, Just like guys who can tell a really compelling simple story. I'm really jealous of that. So I try to do it. It might be somewhat of an affectation and an attempt to sort of be a certain way. But I do just really love stories. So, like, writing about characters and stuff, I'd love to try and do that. But even when I'm doing that, like, those characters are in some way through my eyes and, and, and also parts of me. Yeah. But I think what people think of me for as a lyricist, I, I guess, is just... just life experience writer yeah. person you know and
0: you keep it personally you, you keep it purposely ambiguous too right? yeah so,
2: very much so yeah,
0: yeah. um Let's see what what do I got here? I got all these things. I'm I know. Like,
2: I, I'm I'm so long winded. I'm sorry. No, no, it's wonderful. And, you, <laughs> and here's
0: here's what sucks is and, and like the way I do research is I'll write a question and I have an idea of what you're going to answer and I write a follow up. Yeah. And then you're already answering the follow yeah. up. I'm just following myself. So, <laughs> um. God, I don't. Let's. Let me, let me, I'll try. not. to I'll no. try to be. That's an no, ever growing
2: struggle for me, and no, it's I always wonderful. tell myself that be simple
0: no no no, no. You know? this is wonderful because like you know how many people i have not so much on the show but I've interviewed bands before you ask them a question I'm like yep yeah
2: that's not a yes or no question. Coax it yep. out of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've talked to a lot of people who do interviews. They're like, and I always say, I always like, I'm sorry, I'm super long-winded. Because they always look down at the recorder and they're like, 45 minutes, fuck.
0: Yeah, we're at 33 right yeah. now. Yeah, and
2: I always <laughs> am like, oh, I'm sorry, Like, good luck editing it down. And they're like, oh, thank you so much. We interviewed so-and-so last week and we were just pulling blood from stone. Right.
0: You know? uh, for the uh, amp and new noise, which is the new amp, like they're like,
2: okay, here's a 500 word count
0: and I'll turn in 2,000 words. Because I, I'm long-winded. I can't get done what I want
2: done in five questions, and five questions isn't an interview. That's bullshit. I'm still struggling with that. I'm just, my style somewhat is like throw it all out there and just chip it down, chip it down, chip it down, and I'm still struggling with that because...
0: Well, it seems to work for you? Why, why struggle with it?
2: Uh, I think I can get better at it, too, because a lot of times I'll be singing, and I'm like, man, I feel like I'm singing more words than, like, other songs have. <laughs> And I'm really, like, winded. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like I could have used less words here, and I would be able to sing them better because I could breathe more. You know, it's just, it's it's a constant, how can I get better, how can I get better? And the writers that I really respond to are just economical with their words just very simple like you know. who I mean it, I mean depend, if you're talking lyrics it's it like doesn't matter Paul Westerberg Greg Finn uh, John G. Sampson um, love all the students you know like that yeah. those are my guys who do you read I I read like I love reading plays so I read uh, Eugene O'Neill Arthur Miller like I said um, a little Shakespeare here and there <laughs> Um but I'm just getting now into, like, just novels, you know, and I just, I kind of, like, fantasy, too, so I read all the Game of Thrones, was obsessed with Lord of the Rings for the majority of my high school career, um, so I love that, too, but now I'm just sort of getting into, like, I want to, I want to go back and do, like, Steinbeck more because I feel like I didn't give him a fair shot in, in when I had him in class, yeah. you know, so I want to go back to Steinbeck, um, you know, Orwell, i love to, but... Uh, oh, yeah. I'm trying just, to go back
0: to, uh, like, I've, I've got a copy of The Old Man in the Sea from high school. It's only 80 pages long. I never finished it. I've got to be on the test without even reading the damn book. Yeah. But it sits there. I'm like, one of these days, I'm going to read it. One of these days. One of these days. Yeah. I was looking at it today. I had it in my hands today. I was going to bring it with me, and I left it home.
2: The, the list of those books, yeah. like, it just never stops. Just like, oh, i got to read that, because I haven't, and I heard it's quintessential, you yeah. know? Um. I'm also into comics, too. Like, I, I love... Uh, I just read the new Hawkeye comic that nice. was really good. Um, I mean, the comics that I'm, like... I define myself as a comic person are pretty mainstream. Like, Watchmen and Preacher. Yeah, those are all great. Um, but uh, I love... Uh, What's-his-name? Uh, Brian K. Vaughn. Yes. Dude. Uh, why the Last Man? Why is great. Yeah. I'm so partial to Ex Machina. I love that series so much. I haven't read that one. It's so great. It's about, like... It's really like West Wing, but a comic book. And so this guy, he, he, he's like a, a, a boat cop in New York City. And some meteor goes under and he reaches down into the water and it blows up in his face. And now he can talk to machines. He can control everything electronic and huh. mechanical around him. And uh, so he tries to be a superhero and he's so bad at it. But he ends up saving one of the towers from uh, 9-11. So it's a sort of fictional history. And off of that alone, he campaigns to become the mayor of New York City. And he becomes the mayor of New York City. And the whole comic is about him as the mayor. Nice. It's great. There's this
0: one series that uh, I just picked up a couple weeks ago called Peter Panzerfost. I don't it's know It's a that. retelling of Peter Pan in World War II germany Mm -hmm. and it's about this american orphan boy like looking for it's great it's one of these like i don't know i'm working on an interview with the creator of that and he wrote me back and said yeah let's do it and i've never gotten back to him because i've been busy we're i'm gonna get on that anyway that sounds fascinating uh, enough about that um
2: i forgot to say the mountain goats too because that dude has been such on my mind on my mind lately uh. Uh, probably because he was just on WTF. Was I? I didn't listen to that one. He it's was a great episode. I listened
0: to his episode he did on Low Times with I forget what who hosts that, but it's Low Times. I, I think t- it's it's from Tom Sharpnell. Is that his name? Tom? Oh, Tom Sharpnell. It's like his yeah. other 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 yeah. podcast, but it's great too.
2: Yeah, but but that dude John Darnielle, like he has that simple thing that just he he, he can set it up so well. Like, he's just, there's, all of a sudden, it's it's just lines, and it's just like, oh, that's sort of like exposition, or that's, seems like a throwaway line, but then all of a sudden he gets to the line that's gonna hit you, and you're like, oh, those other lines were so necessary to get me here, and take me off guard, you know, I, I really respond to that type of songwriting, and I'm trying to just become clearer, and simpler, and just more effective, you know, but who knows, I'm... As, as you can tell by this question alone in the interview, it yeah, is somewhat know, right? a struggle for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, um, let's switch some more gears here. Sure. Uh, I like PBC started as a hobby. It just yeah. had no ambition to, well, I assume not much ambition to go no, anywhere. that's true. And then it just took off. Is this still a hobby or has it become a full-time job?
2: Uh, it's definitely a full-time job. I mean, I feel, I always kind of am embarrassed to say that like we started because... It was kind of taking off because it kind of sounds like, oh, you just started doing it because like it was becoming successful and like your heart wasn't really in it. And I, I, I def- I, you know, I, it sounds like that. And
0: well, those those are the people that haven't listened to that first record. I mean, it's in there.
2: Yeah, 100%. you know, like we. But but I think when we started touring full time, it really was like. Because when I was, I did my first tour when I was 17, and I really wanted to be a professional musician, and it just wasn't working. I did another tour when I was like 18, 19, and it just, it wouldn't take off, you know? So then I went away to college and forgot about being in bands, and all of a sudden this band that was a hobby was taking off. Um, We were getting press, we were getting covered in alternative press without even touring. We had like a full page in alternative press as just a weekend band Uh, we were getting messages this was my space times we were messages from japan from california from england from germany uh, people wanting to see us uh and so we just kind of were like because everyone was at the same place we were like we had all tried to do it and it didn't work and every one of us just looked at each other and was like It's working. We have to go do it. Like the window is there. We're gonna fucking kill ourselves if we die with that question. Right. You know. That's sort of like. It's different now, though. You know what I mean? I've been doing it now for five years. It's. It's. It is a full-time job. But that's not a discredit against the heart of the passion. You know what I mean? It's, It's. It's like. It is technically what I do to make the little money I make, and it occupies all of my time. So by definition, it is a full-time job. Yeah. Um, but it's it's exactly the full-time job I want to have. You know, it's funny because the people who always sort of judge you or are quick to call you like a sellout and be like whatever, you just do it because it's your job are always people who have full-time jobs at weird like jobs they hate. Or like corporations that they don't believe in or whatever. And it's like, you know, whatever, you know, like it it is my full-time job. But it's like, I don't really know what else to do. And that's not a cop-out. It's like, that's what my heart tells me. Like, I, I can't go back from it in a way because I know what it feels like to work on something you love. And so now I'm at a place where I'll do anything to keep working on what I love within reason I mean, right. I'm not gonna go fucking do you know <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. You, it's quintessential like selloutness, but you know this is I, I will do anything to keep doing this as long as as long as the world will still have us I guess as long as I don't feel like we're begging for people to come That's, watch us you know? yeah
0: I, I was gonna ask I mean like if, if the time comes when this ends is this this lifestyle something you can put back in the closet and go back to real life or will you forever be a troubadour?
2: It, it's, it's really hard to say because I have my days where I'm like because the grass is always greener you know I, you, a lot of my friends and people I know are envious of what we do right. but conversely I'm almost envious of like their stability just in that sense of like I don't know what it's like to have health insurance right now right. I don't know what it's like to work a 9 to 5 and like not take your work home with you you know I, 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 and that's not a judgment on either s- lifestyle I just, it's just the grass is always a greener you always sort of are curious about what you don't have and sometimes that curiosity turns into a, a slight longing or whatever but I, I, I on the stints that I've been home for extended amounts of time it's always an adjustment. It's always like, I need to figure out what to do with myself yeah. because I, I, am going stir crazy.
0: Yeah, there's no hurry up and wait, going on. It's all yeah, wait. Then, it's yeah, it's all wait. Yeah. yeah. Whereas it's all t- like, tour life, it's like, okay, we got 11 hours. We get there, and it's like, okay, now the wait. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I cycle down, down, down. When I'm at home, and like, I'll get. Like odd jobs here and there, and that's the best thing for me. but on the stints when I don't have that, I just sort of cycle down into this like weird stagnancy or this almost depression of just like not knowing what to do with myself. and it become it's a challenge like it becomes like i need to i need to I need to map out my day at home almost like it's a job. I yeah. need to set out and write out like tasks that I need to get done today to feel like at the end of the day I did something because. When I don't feel that way, I can get really depressed. But in terms of leaving this lifestyle behind and um, going, I guess, to quote-unquote real life, I don't know. Maybe I. I think, I think I could only tour as a performer. I don't think I could like tech or tour manage, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like those are job jobs. And You're an actor. You, you yeah. You want to be on stage. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like I feel like those are jobs that people do for money, which is totally cool. But if like if I was at that point, I would just get a job at home and yeah. stay at home with my yeah. my fiance and dog, you know? Like yeah. so I don't know if I could if I wasn't performing I I, I would not be touring. Um in terms of like how <laughs> much, Oh my goodness, that was a lot of Okay That was an interesting But yeah, I know I'm talking myself in circles with this. But in terms of of like how much longer we'll tour at this capacity, it's hard to say. I mean, we've been doing it now five years. I'm twenty eight. If we do like a couple more records and we're not getting to the point where we can like headline decent clubs on our own, then we're just gonna be a Band that makes music and doesn't tour. Yeah, you know because touring, performing is great. Touring sucks. I, I'm in a way, you know, like right. there's there are good days and bad days, of course. But I was on stage tonight for half an hour, and there's like 23 and a half other hours in the day where not much is going on. Um, and you're missing your family. You're missing your friends. You know. If, if the performing sort of stops justifying that, then we'll probably just become like a home band. But I don't see that happening anytime soon, but I'm just one of those guys who's like, anything is possible, you know? So I kind of, yeah. the future is unwritten, yeah. I guess, you know?
0: Well, like, uh, I, I know you've said in a couple of interviews I read that you're really into Bruce, the boss, Springsteen. And, I've uh, said that? I thought so. I thought you. Slightly. I, thought, I wouldn't uh, say maybe. like really. Maybe I've misread it. And Elvis Costello? The Elvis Mis- Costello. Okay, that definitely. part I got. Yeah, I yeah. might have misread the other one. You might have just half assed me. I like me. Bruce
2: Springsteen. Yeah. I'm definitely uh, into Bruce Springsteen. I'm not one of those pe- people who's like, fuck this Bruce Springsteen Americana bullshit. But I'm also not one of those people who's like crying yeah, right. at the sound of this yeah. yeah. music. Well, I was
0: going to say, like, you've already done the Acoustic Live album. Mm-hmm. Like, do you ever see yourself, like, I don't know, in between tours? Like, I'm going to go on tour? by myself
2: me and the guitar I mean that has come up a lot just but but, like I need to figure out a way where the reasoning for it is more than financial Mm -hmm. because the money in that is so good because A it's just you and 9 times out of 10 you're going to play a college that just has stupid amounts of money to just waste on bands and performers so I kind of need to find a reason beyond that to go and do that I think Because so many people are doing that, and I feel like that's not quite entirely me.
0: I think that trend's also on the down slope. I think it's finally.
2: Thank God.
0: I I, I love a lot of it, but some of
1: it's just. Plug in. Plug
2: in, start a band. Dude, there are the guys who do it fucking. Like Dave House, Chuck, uh, and others that I can't remember right now are amazing. But. I'm not going to lie, a lot of people who do that are doing it for the money. And that, I'm not saying that as a judgment. I'm just saying, like, they're doing it for the money because their full-time band takes up so much of their life that they can't get another job because they don't have the time and they don't have money.
0: Well, then there's a lot of guys who don't know what else to do.
2: In a way, yeah. Yeah, so. But I think, like, if I were to do something, if I were to ever do, like, a solo thing... I'd have a band like I, I would have a band that was like Jimmy Stat or right. yeah. the somethings you know yeah. like I just I just thrive I feel personally I feel more comfortable with, in loud sounds I feel like I just I, I don't play and sing that well um, <laughs> I could do it if I had to but I don't do it that well yeah. and I feel like a lot of enthusiasm that I wouldn't be able to exercise because I'm strapped down by a yeah. guitar
0: Um, I'm about out of notes but I got a couple more here left I feel like I could talk to you all night if we wanted to (laughs) we could but I mean maybe once we hit stop on there Uh, what was it like visiting the Discord house and hanging out with fucking those dudes
2: I, I have done a lot of cool things on tour yeah I have seen and met a lot of cool people and famous people um that I will I will never forget that. <laughs> and that will always be when someone asks me what's the coolest thing that's ever happened to you on tour, that will forever be the answer. Nice. I have been touring, like I said, for five years, and I just this year got to the coolest thing that's ever happened to me on tour. <laughs> um Because, you know, when you're in a band that tours, you end up like at like summer festivals, European festivals. That are headlined by bands like Metallica or uh, Foo Fighters or The Cure or like Queens of the Stone Age. And it's like I've seen all those guys walking around, met a lot of those people. They're not. They wouldn't remember me from a fucking right. stick. But I mean, that was cool in a sort of like funny way. This was cool in just a completely different and emotional way. I. I mean, the guy who walked in here, Tyler, the new bass player, he, he is one of my oldest friends. And we, in high school, we would go to have sleepovers at his house, and we would watch the Minor Threat uh, video. And, like, over and over and over and over again. And now, all of a sudden, here I am with him in Minor Threat's practice space. Yeah. And Ian McKay is telling me about how, like... They never had a they told me to with, they never had a PA so they always would stand up in between the headboards cuz you could hear yourself sing in the headboards. <laughs> and so here I am in the headboards in the same headboard with Ian Mackay and he's like, "Yeah, like this. Like can't you hear like the acoustics in here?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man. I can." <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was insane. It was, it was it was it was insane. And I remember I called my fiance like the night after that happened and she was like, you're really excited about this, and you kind of need to slow down. <laughs> but like, I'm also um, a really big Embrace fan. I mean, M- Minor Threat started it, and of course, I, I like Fugazi. But Embrace is oh, yeah. is my band, you know, my Makai band, because it's it's right in between. It's like perfectly yeah. sonically in between Minor Threat and Fugazi, and I feel like that. That's, in a way, Polar Bear Club, that like in-between sort of gray area ishness band or whatever. That band that's multiple things, but its own thing. That's a huge inspiration of Polar Bear Club. But I remember it got to a moment, so there's 10 of us walking around the house. And the group sort of like formed in a way, or congealed in a way, where I ended up right next to Ian. And he nudged me in the ribs, and he was like... Are you an Embrace fan? And it was so serendipitous because I'm the biggest and maybe only Embrace (laughs) fan from my group of guys. And I was like, yeah, like holding back a smile. And he was like, well, you know the song about the clock that makes the noise. I'm like, yeah, I know the clock that makes noise. And he like reaches down to this carton of junk and he pulls out this like 30-year-old wall clock. And he's like, this is the clock. And... I'm just, like, suppressing a smile, and I could tell, he could kind of tell, like, how it was kind of blowing my mind, and he started, like, getting close to me and kind of, like, poking fun at the fact of how freaked out I was, and he's like, let's plug it in and see if it still makes a noise, so he plugged in this clock, and it starts grinding in such a way, he's like, yeah, it still makes a noise, that's what I wrote that song about, this clock. But it was, like... It was such a surreal experience. I mean, that place—he—he he could charge money to go to that place. It's a—it's a museum. It is—it is the things we saw that day, uh, the way he was so graciously showing us and telling us the stories about it. He could charge hundreds of dollars to go to this place, but I pay it. He, he, and so many yeah. people would, <laughs> and it would be worth it to a lot of people. I mean, I, I cannot put a price on that day. It was—it was. It was um, it was really special. It Great. was
0: really cool. Um, so I mean that's the perfect place to end it, but uh what's next? I mean, you guys put out an album what? Two thousand what was what did Clash come out?
2: This fall it will be two years.
0: Yeah, so what do you guys yeah. got in the works? Anything? Anything exciting?
2: Yeah, we uh, this tour ends mm-hmm. and then we sort of do like a couple like England and, and mainland Europe tours and then we just start working on another record. Nice. Um, and the stuff we have so far I'm super excited about We've changed members a lot But the two main songwriters Are still Chris and myself um, But I'm excited to hear our music Played through these guys' hands um, I think it's going to be Of course still Polar Bear Club But it's going to have this like freshness to it you know and I think that's a good thing for a new record it's like it's people want it to be different but the same right. you know like the, my favorite records like I love Jimmy Eat World too and they're they're like three maybe even four like big awesome records are all different but the same and that's such an amazing quality to grow with the people who like your band and I think that the the, the member change is gonna bring about that that feeling uh Tenfold.
0: Killer. Killer. Hey, uh, when did you get married?
2: September. Nice. Yeah. Are you scared? No. Cool. Uh, I've been with my fiancé for ten years. And so... What took you so long? Uh, we... <laughs> her parents said the same thing. <laughs> uh, no, they didn't. I, that's, I just, that's just something you say. You know? They right, don't. Exactly. I, that's like a joke. <laughs> for some reason. Um, we, she was in school up until this year, and we always of course talked very openly about marriage and she was like, I don't wanna be even thinking about a wedding until I'm done with my degrees. And so I, I proposed a week after her last exam. Nice. So she finished her exam, we went on a walk, popped down on one knee <laughs> and that was it. But yeah, we'll, we'll be actually getting married on our 10th anniversary of being together. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah.
0: Well, cool. Well, so well,
2: nothing really changes. We've lived together forever. We've known each other forever. It's just f- making it official at this point. All right.
0: All right, Jimmy. Well, I'm out. You got anything else for me?
2: I think we fucking covered it.
0: I think we can keep talking. <laughs> I think we can find some more stuff, but we could, I don't think anybody wants you to listen really to it. If you really
2: wanted to go for another hour, you could just say, like, talk about Stanley Kubrick or John Cassavetes oh, or Lord of the Rings. Oh, go. <laughs> I had Blade
0: Runner on here on my notes to talk to you about because in one of the uh, interviews, they were like,
2: oh, I'm, I'm obsessed with Blade Runner right yeah, now. And I'm like, yes. I, cool. But, like... We'll, we'll try, we'll That's know. like bonus content. We could we could go Blade Runner for quite some time, or just Philip K. Dick. Yeah. I mean, I, why didn't I say that when you asked me about the offers? Duh. Well, I mean, we're still recording. Holy shit, so Philip K. Dick, I think man. They've listened this far. Yeah, if they have, but but Philip K. Dick uh, is like I'm just getting into sort of this and last he, year. It's kind of hard to read. I haven't gotten into it yet. You, it's so I just read Ubik, and. About halfway through, I'm so sorry, halfway no, no. through, I was convinced it was going to be a book I didn't like. By the end of it, I was utterly obsessed. Utterly obsessed. Because with him, sometimes it's like, he has this weird way of writing. And even the Blade Runner book, I don't quite like as much as the film. Right. Um, it's the, it, the language is weirdly stilted and, and, and robotic in a way that's not conducive to the story about robots in my opinion (laughs) Uh, it's a great book but but i just i can't get the movie out of my head i I love it so much um but ubic i started it and i was like what the fuck is this i kind of don't know what's going on but i just got to this paragraph about the soul and about because a lot of it's about this place between life and death and these characters end up in this place uh and this one character has this thought about how maybe the soul is like this thing that exists forever, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about Winnie the Pooh, and it's so out of left field, because it's this futuristic movie about telepaths and, and, and corporations that hire these telepaths to protect their ideas from other telepaths, and they get sabotaged by this competing company, and they end up half dead. And it's very futuristic and weird. And then all of a sudden, he's like, maybe your soul is like the forest in Winnie the Pooh. And maybe that forest exists apart from time. It exists forever. And that is always there. And that boy and that bear, they're always there like your soul. And I read that and just closed the book. And I just was like, it just opened the doors for me i was convinced this was going to be a book i didn't like and i got (laughs) to that paragraph and i just slammed the book down i was like you fucker you just became my favorite book and i was convinced i was going to hate you and i started thinking back about all the stuff i didn't like and it just started making sense and started becoming stuff i did like all from (laughs) this one paragraph it was like the chorus of the book you know it was it was it just melted my brain off you know
0: Breakfast of Champions had this part in it. And to be honest, with I couldn't even tell you what it is now. But there was this part in Breakfast of Champions where I'm reading it. And there's this idea. And like I said, I can't remember now. But I have I have a fucking ten-page blog written about this, yeah. this when it happened. But uh, I'm reading Breakfast of Champions. It's like one o'clock in the morning. I'm up all night. And I'm reading it. And this independent thought that I had had on my own. Kurt Vonnegut had written... 40 years ago and, I t- and I'm and i reading it in this book and I took it and I just threw it across the room I'm like what the fuck uh, is going on here dude
2: have you seen that movie Silver Linings playbook yes yeah it's, I liked it Yeah, the moment when he closes the book and throws it out the window mm-hmm. I, I yes. empathize with that so much yes. you know because ah. he's just like what the fuck and he's throwing it out the window because he's upset with the ending but I have felt that with enthusiasm mm-hmm. where it's just like fuck you you fucking got me That's that's like those those moments. Those are what I look for to make everything worth it. Like one of my favorite plays is Long Day's Journey Into Night, and it's like this play. It's just a family drama in a lake house from God. I can't remember the year, but it's like the. That's all right. It's like the 30s, maybe the 20s. I cannot remember, but it's just this family, and they just it truly is a long day's journey. In tonight, So they're all this family talking, these passive-aggressive, you know, suppressed emotions. And it's fucking long until it gets to nighttime when the men get shit-faced, and they come together, and they just fucking tear each other apart. And it is so... There's a scene between the two brothers that, that I will forever be in my mind as one of the best works of literature even the film version is amazing just the best scenes the most telling and gut-wrenching and, and, and shocking scenes the rest of the play is kind of fucking boring but when you get to that scene and then you go back and you read the play again with the, that context right. and you start finding all the clues like oh shit that's what he was talking about there and that scene kind of opens up the whole doors to the boring shit it's fucking so great. It's uh, so perfect.
0: It's like I watched, and, and I know it's a TV show, but I watched Game of Thrones season one, entire yeah. first season. I'm like, eh, this is okay. This yeah. is okay. Yeah. This is okay. You get to the, you get to the part, and the I end. won't spoil it for anybody. Yeah. But if you know, you know. I went, holy shit, I love this fucking show. Yeah. And you go back and rewatch season one, you pick it all up, and it's all there, and it, it's just
2: well, <laughs> it's a technique that's been in literature forever. Right. It's but, foreshadow. But, but the wire sort of brought it into, yeah. The mainstream.
0: I've never. I haven't. I I know it's going to be good, but I haven't haven't started it yet.
2: Well, the Game of Thrones is very much
0: medieval. Wire Wire, meets Lord of the Rings. I
2: mean, it's 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 way richer. It's way more sex and violence. There are episodes of the Wire. They'll go whole whole episodes of just boring the shit out of you.
0: I think those were the episodes I tried to watch when I had HBO, and I'm just like,
2: you got to go start to finish with it because there'll be those episodes where just like, what the fuck is this? Why is this compelling <laughs> television? But what you don't realize is you're getting set up for some of the most human, gut-wrenching scenes that, that you could ever imagine. And all of a sudden, all that shit be- makes sense. You know And that's, that's what's so hard to tell to like a mainstream audience, you know It's like, no, just you have to you get what you put in. You get out what you put in. Mm-hmm. So if you put in the time, it will they'll give it back to you nice. at some point, you know? That's what I, I, I'm still figuring out how to do that with songs. I don't know if it can be done, but maybe not in such an epic structure as a 13-episode season, right. but maybe in a verse here and there in a chorus, but I think I, I'd sort of take that with me, that, that sort of where the listener or reader is like, kind of turned off, kind of like, "What is this?" Why should I like this? And then you get to that line, that, that kick the barn door open line, and then everything else is like, oh, okay. They're setting me up. Yeah,
0: I like that you brought it all the way You back like the bookend? Music. Oh, that's just... You're, you're, you're that's amazing at this. When are you going to start your own podcast? You need to start that now.
2: I've thought about it many times. Well, after um, today, I hope you do. I should, but it just would be...
0: It'd be you talking the whole show, wouldn't it? <laughs> <you?
2: laughs> no, I... I See, being a very talkative person for as long as I've been, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to listen. And um, because I also, from where I picked up my talkativeness, from a lot of maybe bad listeners, you know. And also, this is something I learned from my fiancé through and through, because she is so not this way. She's such an introvert, you know. she, She is such a quiet... Uh, her biggest fear Public speaking Violently, violently afraid of public speaking And I've learned from her How to listen nice. I mean to a T like, And I take that with me Everywhere I've just, I constantly am telling myself in my head Don't talk, listen and yeah, I have to tell myself that. I have to tell myself that. But I fucking got there somehow. You know what I mean? So I guess there's some value in it.
0: Well, let's. Uh, I mean, I don't want. I mean, we can go another hour, but <laughs> no, I think no. this is a good stopping point we, right I here. Think, I
2: think if they're still listening, they're 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 wanting a way out at no, this I mean, point. So. Jesus, I want to
0: keep going. But all right, Jimmy. Uh, well, let's let's go watch Bad
2: Religion. Let's do it, man.
0: Well, all right, buddies. Well, thank you for listening to this magnum opus of an episode with Jimmy from polar bear club. As, as you heard there at the very end, we easily could have kept going for at least another hour, probably longer than that. We probably could have talked until the, uh, night turned the day. Um, wonderful guy, wonderful talking to you, Jimmy, uh, and fans, if you've listened this far, congratulations. I know this is a long episode. Maybe we should have split it up into two. I don't know. This is, this is cool. This is for you guys. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and get the hell out of here. Again, I'd like to thank uh, our sponsors of the Polar, of sponsors of this Polar Bear Club episode, the Denver Comic Con. Again, that's May 31st through June 2nd, the Colorado Convention Center in Denver, Colorado. Um, we're gonna go ahead and uh, well, before I go, I want to thank Scotty Bell, tour manager for not only the Polar Bear Club but the Menzingers and my good buddy from our tours with the Cheap Girls together. He, him, and uh, the PR guy for Polar Bear Club helped set this up, and none of it would have been possible without you guys. Uh, Jimmy, thanks again for talking. Um, thanks for listening. We're going to go ahead and end this with uh, probably my favorite song off of Clash Built Guilt Pride. This song is called Three-Fourth Tango. Maybe it's just Three-Four Tango. I guess I should ask three, four I have asked that. Three-Four Tango off Clash Battle Guilt Pride from uh, Polar Bear Club's 2011 release. Uh, make sure you check out their live at Montage acoustic album. That's pretty great. And if you haven't listened to Polar Bear Club yet, well, enjoy. Uh, thanks again, guys, for hanging out. Thanks again for listening. Let's... Let's take off bonus good night